Section 19 of Philosophical Rudiments Concerning Government and Society by Thomas Hobbes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Geoffrey Church. Chapter 17 Of the Kingdom of God by the New Covenant. The Prophecies Concerning Christ's Dignity. 1. The Prophecies Concerning Christ's Dignity. 2. Prophecies concerning his humility and passion. 3. That Jesus was the Christ. 4. That the kingdom of God by the new covenant was not the kingdom of Christ, as Christ, but as God. 5. That the kingdom by the new covenant is heavenly, and shall begin from the day of judgment. 6. That the government of Christ in this world was not a sovereignty, but counsel were a government by the way of doctrine and persuasion. 7. What the promises of the new covenant are on both parts. 8. That no laws are added by Christ besides the institution of the sacraments. 9. Repent ye, be baptized, keep the commandments, and the like forms of speech are not laws. 10. It pertains to the civil authority to define what the sin of injustice is. 11. It pertains to the civil authority to define what conduces to the peace and defense of the city. 12. It pertains to the civil authority to judge, when need requires, what definitions and what inferences are true. 13. It belongs to the office of Christ to teach morally not by the spe way of speculation, but as a law, to forgive sins and to teach all things whereof there is no science properly so called. 14. A distinction of things temporal from spiritual. 15. And how many several sorts of word of God may be taken? 16. That all which is contained in Holy Scripture belongs not to the canon of the Christian faith. 17 that the word of a lawful interpreter of holy scriptures is the word of God. 18. That the authority of interpreting scriptures is the same with that of determining controversies of faith. 19. Diverse significations of a church. 20. What a church is, to which we attribute rights, actions, and the personal capacities. 21. A Christian city is the same with a Christian church. 22. Many cities do not constitute one church. 23. Who are ecclesiastical persons? 24. That the election of ecclesiastical persons belongs to the church, their consecration of pastors. 25. That the power of remitting the sins of the penitent and retaining those of the impenitent belongs to the pastors, but that of judging concerning repentance belongs to the church. 26. What excommunication is, and on whom it cannot pass. 27. That the interpretation of Scripture depends on the authority of the city. 28. That a Christian city ought to interpret Scriptures by ecclesiastical pastors. 1. There are many clear prophecies extant in the Old Testament concerning our Savior Jesus Christ, who was to restore the kingdom of God by a new covenant, partly foretelling his regal dignity, partly his humility and passion. 
among others concerning his dignity, these. God, blessing Abraham, makes him a promise and his son Isaac, and adds, Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, and kings of people shall be of him. Jacob blessing his son Judah, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the scepter, quoth he, shall not depart from Judah. God to Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, a prophet, saith he, will I raise them up from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him, and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require of it of him. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The Lord himself shall give thee a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The same prophet, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And again, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, etc. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, etc. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. <laughs> Furthermore, in the same Isaiah, chapters 51 through 62, there is almost nothing else contained but a description of the coming and the works of Christ. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the day is come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And Baruch, Baruch, chapter 3, verses 35 to 37. This is our God, etc. Afterwards, he did not show himself upon the earth and conversed with men. Ezekiel, chapter 34, verse 23 through 25. I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David, and I will make with them a covenant of peace. Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, etc. Haggai, Haggai chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heaven, and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Zechariah, under the name of Joshua the high priest. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8. I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And again, Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12. Behold the man whose name is the branch. And again, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh to thee. He is just, having salvation. 
the jews moved by these and other prophecies expected christ their king to be sent from god who should redeem them and furthermore bear rule over all nations yea this prophecy had spread over the whole roman empire which vespasian too though falsely interpreted in favour of his own enterprises that out of judea should come he that should have dominion two now the prophecies of christ's humility and passion amongst others are these isaiah chapter fifty three verse four he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted and by and by verse seven he was oppressed he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearer is dumb so opened he not his mouth etc and again verse eight he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken etc verse twelve therefore i will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out of his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercessions for the transgressors and that of zechariah zechariah chapter nine verse nine he is lowly riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass three in the reign of tiberius caesar jesus our saviour a galilean began to preach the son as was supposed of joseph declaring to the people of the jews that the kingdom of god expected by them was now come and that he himself was a king that is to say the christ explaining the law choosing twelve apostles and seventy disciples after the number of the princes and of the tribes and the seventy elders according to the pattern of moses to the ministry teaching the way of salvation by himself and them purging the temple doing great signs and fulfilling all those things which the prophets had foretold christ to come that this man hated of the pharisees whose false doctrine and hypocritical sanctity he had reproved and by their means of the people accused of unlawful seeking for the kingdom and crucified was the true christ and king promised by god and sent from his father to renew the new covenant between them and god both the evangelists do show describing his genealogy nativity life doctrine death and resurrection and by comparing the things which he did with those which were foretold of him all christians do consent to four now from this that christ was sent from god his father to make a covenant with between him and other people it is manifest that though christ were equal to his father according to his nature yet was he inferior according to the right of kingdom for this office to speak properly was not that of a king but of a viceroy such as moses's government was for the kingdom was not his but his father's which christ himself signified when he was baptized as a subject and openly professed when he taught his disciples to pray our father thy kingdom come etc and when he said matthew chapter twenty six verse twenty nine i will not drink of the blood of the grape until that day when i shall drink it new with you in the kingdom of my father and st paul first corinthians chapter fifteen verses twenty two to twenty four as in adam all die so in christ shall all be made alive but every man in his own order christ to the first fruits afterwards they 
that are Christ's, who believed in his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even his Father. The same notwithstanding is also called the kingdom of Christ, for both the mother of the sons of Zebedee petitioned Christ, saying, Matthew chapter 20, verse 21, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. And the thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23, verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Yea, in St. Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, For this know ye, that no whoremonger, etc., shall enter into the kingdom of God and of Christ. And elsewhere, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, etc. Verse 18, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. Nor is it to be marveled at that the same kingdom is attributed to them both, since both the Father and the Son are the same kingdom, and the new covenant concerning God's kingdom is not propounded in the name of the Father, but in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost, as of one God. 5. But the kingdom of God for restitution whereof christ was sent from god his father takes not its beginning from before his second coming to wit from the day of judgment when he shall come in majesty accompanied with his angel for it is promised the apostles that in the kingdom of god they shall judge the twelve tribes of israel matthew chapter 19 verse 28 ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of israel which is not to be done till the day of judgment christ therefore is not yet in the throne of his majesty nor is that time when christ was conversant here in the world called a kingdom but a regeneration that is to say a renovation or restitution of the kingdom of god and a calling of them who were hereafter to be received into his kingdom. And when it is said, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 32, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats we may manifestly gather that there will be no local separation of God's subjects from his enemies, but that they shall live mixed together until Christ's second coming. Which is also confirmed by the comparison of the kingdom of heaven with wheat mingled with darnel, and with a net containing all sorts of fish. But a multitude of men, enemies, and subjects, living promiscuously together, cannot properly be termed a kingdom. Besides, the apostles, when they asked our Saviour, whether he would at that time when he ascended into heaven restore the kingdom of israel did openly testify that they when christ ascended thought the kingdom of god not to be yet come furthermore the words of christ my kingdom is not of this world and i will not drink etc till the kingdom of god come and god hath not sent his son into the world to judge the world but that the world through him might be saved and if any one man hear my words and keep them not i judge him not for i came not to judge the world but to save the world and 
man who made me a judge or divider between you and the very appellation of the kingdom of heaven testifies as much the same thing is gathered out of the words of the prophet jeremiah speaking of the kingdom of god by the new covenant jeremiah chapter thirty one verse thirty four they shall teach no more every man his neighbor saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them saith the lord which cannot be understood of a kingdom in this world the kingdom of god therefore for the restoring whereof christ came into the world of which the prophets did prophesy and of which praying we say thy kingdom come if it is to have subjects locally separated from enemies if judicature if majesty according as hath been foretold shall begin from that time wherein god shall separate the sheep from the goats wherein the apostles shall judge the twelve tribes of israel wherein christ shall come in majesty and glory wherein lastly all men shall so know god and they shall not need to be taught that is to say at christ's second coming or the day of judgment but if the kingdom of god were now already restored no reason could be rendered why christ having completed the work for which he was sent should come again or why we should pray thy kingdom come six now although the kingdom of god by christ to be established with a new covenant were heavenly we must not therefore think that they who believing in christ would make that covenant were not so to be governed here on the earth too as that they should persevere in their faith and obedience promised by that covenant for in vain had the kingdom of heaven been promised if we were not to have been led into it but none can be led but those who are directed that way moses when he had instituted the priestly kingdom himself though he were no priest yet ruled and conducted the people all the time of their peregrination until their entrance into the promised land in the same manner it is it our saviour's office whom god in this thing would have like unto moses as he was sent on from his father so to govern the future subjects of this heavenly kingdom in this life that they might attain to and enter into that although the kingdom were not properly his but his father's but the government whereby christ rules the faithful ones in this life is not properly a kingdom or domain but a pastoral charge or the right of teaching that is to say god the father gave him not the power to judge meum and tuum as he doth to the kings of the earth nor a coercive power nor legislative but of showing to the world and teaching them the way and knowledge of salvation that is to say of preaching and declaring what they were to do who would enter into the kingdom of heaven that christ had received no power from his father to judge in questions of meum and tuum that is to say in all questions of right among those who believe not those words above cited do sufficiently declare man who made me a judge or divider between you and it was confirmed by reason for seeing christ was sent to make a covenant between god and man and no man is obliged to perform obedience before the contract be made if he should have judged of questions of right no man had been tied to obey his sentence but that the discerning of right was not committed to christ in this world neither among the faithful nor among infidels is apparent in this that that right without any controversy belongs to princes as long as it is not by god himself derogated from their authority but it is not derogated before the day of judgment 
as appears by the words of St. Paul, speaking of the day of judgment, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 24, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Secondly, the words of our Saviour reproving James and John, when they had said, Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Wilt thou that we call for fire from heaven, that it may consume thee? Namely, Samaritans, who had denied to receive him going up to Jerusalem, and replying, verse 46, The Son of Man has not come to destroy souls, but to save them. And those words, Behold, I send you as sheep among wolves, shake off the dust of your feet, and the like. And those words, God sent not his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And those, If any man hear my words and keep them not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, etc. Do all show that he had no power given him to condemn or punish any man. We read indeed that the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son. But since that both may and must be understood of the day of the future judgment, it doth not at all repugn what hath been said before. Lastly, that he was not sent to make new laws, and that therefore by his office and mission he was no legislator properly so called, nor Moses neither, but a bringer and publisher of his father's laws, for God only and neither Moses nor Christ was a king by covenant, is collected hence. That he said, I came not to destroy, to wit, the laws before given from God by Moses, which he presently interprets, but to fulfill. And he that shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Christ therefore had not a royal or sovereign power committed to him from his father in this world, but counsellory and doctrinal only, which himself signifies as well then when he calls his apostles not hunters but fishers of men, as when he compares the kingdom of God to a grain of mustard seed and to a little leaven hid in meal. 7. God promised unto Abraham first a numerous seed, the possession of the land of Canaan, and a blessing upon all nations in his seed, on this condition, that he and his seed should serve him. Next, unto the seed of Abraham according to the flesh, a priestly kingdom, a government most free, in which they were to be subject to no human power, on this condition that they should serve the god of abraham on that fashion which moses should teach lastly both to them and to all nations a heavenly and eternal kingdom on condition that they should serve god of abraham on that manner which christ should teach for by the new that is to say the christian covenant it is covenanted on men's part to serve the god of abraham on that manner which jesus should teach on god's part to pardon their sins, and to bring them into his celestial kingdom. We have already spoken of the quality of the heavenly kingdom above in Article 5, but it is usually called sometimes the kingdom of heaven, sometimes the kingdom of glory, sometimes life eternal. What is required on men's part, namely, to serve God as Christ should teach, contains two things. Obedience to be performed to God, for this is to serve God, and faith in Jesus, to wit, 
that we believe Jesus to be that Christ who was promised by God. For that only is the cause why his doctrine is to be followed, rather than any others. Now in the Holy Scriptures, repentance is often put instead of obedience, because Christ teacheth everywhere that with God the will is taken for the deed, but repentance is an infallible sign of an obedient mind. These things being understood, it will most evidently appear out of many places of sacred scripture, that those are the conditions of the Christian covenant which we have named, to wit, giving remission of sins and eternal life on God's part, and repenting and believing in Jesus Christ on men's part. First the words, Mark chapter 1 verse 15, The kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel, contain the whole covenant. In like manner those, Luke chapter 24, verses 46 to 47, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved God to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And those, Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come, etc. And sometimes one part is expressly propounded, and the other understood, as here, John chapter 3, verse 36, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Where faith is expressed, repentance not mentioned and in christ's preaching matthew chapter 4 verse 17 repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand where repentance is expressed faith is understood but the parts of this new contract are most manifestly and formally set down here where a certain ruler bargaining as it were for the kingdom of god asketh our savior luke chapter 18 verse 18 good master what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But Christ first propounds one part of the price, namely observation of the commandments or obedience, which when he answered that he had kept, he adjoins the other, saying, verse 22, Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast, and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. This was matter of faith. He therefore, not giving sufficient credit to Christ and his heavenly treasures, went away sorrowful. The same covenant is contained in these words, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Where faith is expressed, repentance is supposed in those that are baptized. And in these words, John chapter 3, verse 5, except a man be born again of water and the holy ghost he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven where to be born of water is the same with regeneration that is to say conversion to christ now that baptism is required in the two places cited just before and in diverse others we must understand that what circumcision was to be the old covenant that baptism is to the new seeing therefore that was not of the essence but served for a memorial of the old covenant as a ceremony or sign, and was omitted in the wilderness, in like manner this also is used, not as pertaining to the essence, but in memory and for a sign of the new covenant which we make with God. And provided the will be not wanting, the act through necessity may be omitted. 
but repentance and faith which are the essence of the covenant are always required eight in the kingdom of god after this life there will be no laws partly because there is no room for laws where there is none for sins partly because laws were given us from god not to direct us in heaven but unto heaven let us now therefore inquire what laws christ established not himself for he would not take upon him any legislative authority as hath been declared above in article six but propounded to us his fathers we have a place in scripture where he contracts all the laws of god published till that time into two precepts matthew chapter twenty two verses thirty seven through forty thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thine heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind this is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself on these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets the first of these was given by before by moses in the same words deuteronomy chapter six verse five and the second even before moses for it is the natural law having its beginning with rational nature itself and both together is the sum of all laws for all the laws of divine natural worship are contained in these words thou shalt love god and all the laws of divine worship do by the old covenant in these words thou shalt love thy god that is to say god as being the peculiar king of abraham and his seed and all the laws natural and civil in these words thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself for he that loves god and his neighbor hath a mind to obey all laws both divine and human but god requires no more than a mind to obey we have another place where christ interprets the laws namely the fifth sixth and seventh entire chapters of st matthew's gospel but all those laws are set down either in the decalogue or in the moral law or are contained in the faith of abraham as that law of not putting away a wife is contained in the faith of abraham for that same two shall be one flesh was not delivered either by christ first or by moses but by abraham who first preached the creation of the world the laws therefore which christ contracts in one place and explains in another are no other than those to which all mortal men are obliged who acknowledge the god of abraham beside these we read not of any law given by christ beside the institution of the sacraments of baptism and the eucharist nine what may then be said of these kind of precepts repent be baptized keep the commandments believe the gospel come unto me sell all thou thou hast give to the poor follow me and the like we must say that they are not laws but a calling of us to the faith such as is that of isaiah chapter forty verse one come buy wine and milk without money and without price neither if they come not do they therefore sin against any law but against prudence only neither shall their infidelity be punished but their former sins wherefore st john saith of the unbeliever the wrath of god abideth on him he saith not the wrath of god shall come upon him and he that shall believe it not is already judged he saith not shall be judged but is already judged nay it cannot be well conceived that remission of sins should be a benefit arising from faith unless we understand also on the other side that the punishment of sins is a hurt proceeding from infidelity 
10. From hence that our Saviour hath prescribed no distributive laws to the subjects of princes and citizens of cities, that is to say, hath given no rules whereby a subject may know and discern what is his own and what another man's, nor by what forms, words, and circumstances a thing must be given, delivered, invaded, possessed, that it may be known by right to belong to the receiver, invader, or possessor, we must necessarily understand that each single subject, not only with unbelievers, among whom Christ himself denied him to be a judge and distributor, but even with Christians, must take those rules from his city, that is to say, from that man or council which hath supreme power. It follows, therefore, that by those laws, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, honor thy father and mother. Nothing else was commanded, but that subjects and citizens should absolutely obey their princes in all questions concerning meum and tuum, their own and others' right. For by that precept, thou shalt not kill, all slaughter is not prohibited. For he that said, thou shalt not kill, said also, Exodus chapter 35 verse 2, whosoever doth work upon the Sabbath shall be put to death. No, nor yet all slaughter, the cause not being heard, for he said, Exodus chapter 32 verse 27, slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor verse 28, and there fell of the people about three thousand men. Nor yet all slaughter of an innocent person. For Jephthah vowed, Judges chapter 11, verse 31, whosoever cometh forth, etc., I will offer him up a burnt offering unto God. And his vow was accepted by God. What then is forbidden? Only this, that no man kill another who hath not a right to kill him, that is to say, that no man kill unless it belong to him to do so. The law of Christ, therefore, concerning killing, and consequently all manner of hurt done to any man, and what penalties are to be set, commands us to obey the city only. In like manner, by that precept, thou shalt not commit adultery, all manner of copulation is not forbidden, but only that of lying with another man's wife. But the judgment, which is another man's wife, belongs to the city, and is to be determined by the rules the city prescribes. This precept, therefore, commands both the male and female to keep that faith entire, which they have mutually given according to the statutes of the city. So also by the precept, thou shalt not steal, all manner of invasion or secret surreptition is not forbidden, but of another man's only. The subject, therefore, is commanded to this only, that he invade not nor take away aught which the city prohibits to be invaded or taken away, and universally not to call anything murder, adultery, or theft, but what is done contrary to the civil laws. Lastly, seeing Christ hath commanded us to honor our parents, and hath not prescribed with what rights, what appellations, and what manner of obedience they are to be honored, it is supposed that they are to be honored with the will indeed and inwardly as kings and lords over their children, but outwardly, not beyond the city's permission, which shall assign to every man, as all things else, so also his honor. But since the nature of justice consists in this, that every man have his own given him, it is manifest that it also belongs to a Christian city to determine what is justice, what injustice, or a sin against justice. Now what belongs to a city that must be judged to belong to him or them who hath the sovereign power of the city? 11. 
Moreover, because our Saviour hath not showed subjects any other laws for the government of a city besides those of nature, that is to say, beside the command of obedience, no subject can privately determine who is a public friend, who an enemy, when war, when peace, when truce is to be made, nor yet what subjects, what authority, and of what men, are commodious or prejudicial to the safety of the commonweal. These and all like manners, therefore, are to be learned, if need be, from the city, that is to say, from the sovereign powers. 12. Furthermore, all these things, to build castles, houses, temples, to move, carry, take away mighty weights, to send securely overseas, to contrive engines serving for all manner of uses, to be well acquainted with the face of the whole world, the courses of the stars, the seasons of the year, the accounts of the times, and the nature of all things, to understand perfectly all natural and civil rights and all manner of sciences, which, comprehended under the title of philosophy, are necessarily partly to live, partly to live well. I say, the understanding of these, because Christ hath not delivered it, is to be learned from reasoning, that is to stay by making necessary consequences, having first taken the beginning from experience. But men's reasonings are sometimes right, sometimes wrong, and consequently that which is concluded and sometimes held for a truth is sometimes truth, sometimes error. Now errors, even about these philosophical points, do sometimes public hurt, and give occasions of great seditions and injuries. It is needful, therefore, as oft as any controversy ariseth in these manners contrary to the public good and the public peace, that there be somebody to judge of the reasoning, that is to say, whether that which is inferred be rightly inferred or not, that so the controversy may be ended. But there are no rules given by Christ to this purpose, neither came he into the world to teach logic. It remains therefore that the judges of such controversies be the same with those whom God by nature hath instituted before, namely those who in each city are constituted by the sovereign. Moreover, if a controversy be raised of the accurate and proper signification, that is, the definition of those names or appellations which are commonly used, insomuch as it is needful for the peace of the city, or the distribution of right, to be determined, the determination will belong to the city. For men, by reasoning, do search out such kind of definitions in their observation of diverse conceptions. For the signification whereof those appellations were used at diverse times and for diverse causes. But the decision of the question, whether a man do rightly reason, belongs to the city. For example, if a woman bring forth a child of an unwanted shape, and the law forbid to kill a man, the question is whether the child be a man. It is demanded therefore what a man is. No man doubts, but the city shall judge it, and that without taking an account of Aristotle's definition, that man is a rational creature. And these things, namely right, policy, and natural sciences, are subjects concerning which Christ denies that it belongs to his office to give any precepts, or teach anything besides this only, that in all controversies about them, every single subject should obey the laws and determinations of a city. Yet must we remember this, that the same Christ as God could not only have taught, but also commanded what he would. 13. The sum of our Saviour's office was to teach the way and all the means of salvation and eternal life. But justice and civil obedience, and observation of all the natural laws, is one of the means to salvation. 
Now, these may be taught two ways. One, as theorems, by the way of natural reason, by drawing right in the natural laws from human principles and contracts, and this doctrine thus delivered is subject to the censure of civil powers. The other, as laws by divine authority, in showing the will of God to be such. And thus to teach belongs only to him to whom the will of God is supernaturally known, that is to say, to Christ. Secondly, it belonged to the office of Christ to forgive sins to the penitent, for that was necessary for the salvation of men who had already sinned. Neither could it be done by any other. For remission of sins follows not repentance naturally, as a debt, but it depends, as a free gift, on the will of God supernaturally to be revealed. Thirdly, it belongs to the office of Christ to teach all those commandments of God, whether concerning his worship or those points of faith which cannot be understood by natural reason, but only by revelation. Of which nature are those, that he was the Christ, that his kingdom was not terrestrial, but celestial, that there are rewards and punishments after this life, that the soul is immortal, that there should be such and so many sacraments, and the like. 14. From what has been shown in the foregoing chapter, it is not hard to distinguish between things spiritual and things temporal. For since by spiritual those things are understood, which have their foundation on the authority and office of Christ, and unless Christ have taught them, could not have been known, and all other things are temporal, it follows that the definition and determination of what is just and unjust, the cognizance of all controversies about the means of peace and public defense, and the examination of doctrines and books and all manner of rational science, depends upon the temporal right. But those which are mysteries of faith, depending on Christ's word and authority only, their judgments belong to spiritual right. But it is reason's inquisition and pertains to temporal right to define what is spiritual and what temporal, because our Savior hath not made that distinction. For although St. Paul in many places distinguish between spiritual things and carnal things, and call Romans chapter 8 verse 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 8 through 10, those things spiritual which are of the spirit, to wit, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, faith, the gift of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, all supernaturally inspired by the Holy Ghost. And such as the carnal man understands not, but he only who hath known the mind of Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16. And those things carnal which belong to whole worldly wealth. Romans chapter 15 verse 27. And the men of carnal men. First Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. Yet hath he not defined nor given us any rules whereby we may know what proceeds from natural reason what from supernatural inspiration. End of section 19. Recording by Geoffrey Church.